0: What's going on everybody? This is George Gleefe and it's episode 28 of let's grab coffee. I'm here with a good friend, Cassie I, who is actually, uh, uh, a peer of mine in university. So, uh, Telfer school of management, uh, Cassie the co-founder and CEO of Destinables. The best way for offices to actually order snacks, beverages, and much more Destinables is trying to make things healthier for offices for their employees. Uh, but Cassie has a very cool story, very cool background uh, as an entrepreneur of different ventures but also did a bit um, of sort of venturing in the, in the corporate route, which we'll talk about. So, very excited to have you, Cass. Uh, it's good to see you. Thanks good for having me. Cheers, so, man. So, um, look, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, tell us a bit about your background. What's the kind of story of, of Cass Guy?
1: So, I, I'd always been entrepreneurial, okay. and I have a younger brother. We're only two years apart, and we've always worked on different projects together, different ventures, and we just like building and solving problems. So we, probably the earliest venture we ever started with was we were 12 years old uh, or even younger than that. I think I was maybe, maybe I was 10 and Emil was eight years old. And uh, we lived on a busy street in the west end of Ottawa. And we would fix bikes for all the kids in the neighborhood. And then for passerbys, um, you know, whether they had like a, a flat tire or whatever, we would change their tires. And then Emil was also selling Gatorade on the side while I would do this. So we were always working on different things together. From there we we built a hedge turing business with hundreds of customers that we served across the west end of Ottawa, which we sold that business when we were about 16 years old. Um, and then we we ran a Kickstarter campaign selling a piece of software. And I think from an early age we, we both really enjoyed business. I went on to study. Uh, business with you, of course. Studying finance at the Telford School of Management, and then Emil went to go study computer science at Carleton University. So we worked on a number of different projects um, along the way, and a few others throughout university. And um, you know, profitable businesses, great little little businesses that we ran. Um, and then after graduating, I think we realized the importance, both of us, of mm-hmm. uh, working in a large organization where we can learn from more experienced people. Yeah. The one thing that we always, I think the, one, the, the kind of things that we, we really enjoy doing are solving problems and, and learning a lot. So uh, we're, we're huge fans of infinite learning. Uh, Barry Diller is, is a, a strong influence of that. He's a, he, an amazing entrepreneur. You should check him out if you haven't heard of him. For those of you, who's, who's Barry Diller. Barry Diller. So Barry Diller is a founder. He has invested in um, many different companies. He's one of the founders of Fox, um, and after that, he's invested and founded, I think, twenty or thirty businesses that you that people have heard of. It's he's got an amazing, um, amazing. Uh, podcast too that, that he was on with Reed Hoffman okay um, but anyway amazing entrepreneur so we we look up to that 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 mentality of infinite learning and um, so we, we were looking at, at you know when I graduated I I went to go work at uh, in big consulting I worked for EY in, in IT risk advisory so that was in in Canada, in Canada so first. Okay. in Canada so I was in Canada in the auto office and I was there in the IT risk advisory practice for almost uh, one and a half years, okay. and then um, you know at the time I was learning a lot, really enjoyed it, and learned how processes work in large organizations. I learned things to do, things not to do. Uh, it was just a great experience. And then from there, um, you know, I, uh, my girlfriend convinced me to move to uh, to Austria, Vienna, Austria. It's probably one of the best decisions I ever made. And ended up working there for a, uh, an Italian IT consulting company. So uh, it was an, a company growing at an incredible pace. Mm. Not huge for a consulting company, but uh, very large for a research center. So we worked with uh, universities across all over the world, actually, about 90 different universities. And we worked on projects um, mm. with some of the top organizations across Europe. And uh, there were about 300 people, or let's say about 200 people, and then I was there for, again, almost a year and a half, and by the time we left, we were about 300 people. So incredible learning experience, I worked in sales, uh, doing outbound sales, managing Germany and Austria uh, alongside a team of people, um, it was amazing, an amazing experience. And then Emil, at the time, graduated and went and he worked uh, for Shopify, and he worked for the government um, in various departments, working on some really cool projects. So um, we always had that entrepreneurial passion. And just before I left to Germany um, and Austria, we came up with this idea because Emil was working at Shopify and he saw all of the great snacks they had in the office. And then we also saw there were a few companies that were trying to help companies like Shopify to order these things to the office and manage the office kitchen. Yep. But we saw that they weren't taking that nobody was taking an intelligent approach to actually ordering things to the office. So we took this kind of software approach, we built a chatbot that employees can talk to, it understands the needs, who's vegan, kosher, halal, gluten-free, et cetera, in an office. Mm-hmm. And based on those dietary preferences, all we need to know is your your budget. And then you're going to receive an order every week or every month um, within your budget that meets the needs of all of your employees. So we're on a mission to make offices healthier and happier. And uh, since we started about one and a half years ago, um, I've moved back here in January. Um, as the business has grown, we're now about twenty people. Uh, we have, cu- uh, you know, we have customers across Canada and in a few cities in the U.S. Uh, we broke the the million dollar uh, sales mark just earlier this year, and uh, we have a, a very exciting future ahead of us. So.
0: Wonderful, we well, love it. Um, let's sort of you know take a step back and 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 I guess talk about when you had the idea for Destinables in mind. You and Emil, Emil mm-hmm. being your your brother, but also co-founder of Destinables. Um, when you first sort of had that idea, what was what was the biggest tipping point? You said like Emil was at Shopify and he mm-hmm. noticed that there was a bit of a gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that tipping point? When did he kind of call you up and say, "Cast, like, let's, let's do this. What do you think of this idea?
1: So we always talked about it. Like we, I, I always had it in the back of my mind that I'd have to move back, okay. um, for the business at some point. And we talked about it. Um, it was just a matter of, of how long it would take. I suppose the tipping point was we were always laser focused on sales and sales process. And, making sure that we're talking to the customers throughout the sales process to understand what ticks, what's important, and then that would also help in terms of, from a product development perspective, what to focus on. Because as a startup, you only have so many resources. When you're focusing on what to build for the customer, you really have to be focused on on building something that's valuable for them. So I think we started to focus more and more on that. And as we started to understand the sales formula, and we started to understand what we were building, then we realized what what kind of opportunity we had Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we started to realize kind of uh that there was there was product market fit at the end of last year in 2017 and uh we just went for it essentially
0: um so so you kind of you know i guess there there was a lot of tests and trials as you went along because you didn't want to assume what the what the customer wanted yeah. Right? But in, in the sort of early days, like when mm-hmm. you when you originally kind of came up with the concept, I think yeah. this would help a lot of uh, founders listening. Yeah, Was there a bit of like you imagining what this is going to look like? Mm-hmm. Did you talk to clients beforehand? How did you kind of approach sort of the design phase of, of what desk symbols would look like eventually?
1: So, um, yeah, it's difficult. I think there are two ways to start a business, really, or there are a few ways. but. Let's say the two most common ways are you and things are always going to change. Yeah. Is uh, you build the product before before you actually get sales,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or I think the the approach that's probably more interesting and, and like is the the one that you see that's more common. That that other one is a little bit more rare because you need a, you need money to start and to pay people and to build that product. Um, but then you'll see businesses where uh, you you build the product or service in tandem with um, with your sales, right? Mm-hmm. So with with selling, and, and I think that's like it's a great approach to take because you're never going to know that whatever you're doing resonates with your customers unless you go out there and you're trying to get sales. So I see so many so many entrepreneurs out there that you know young entrepreneurs especially that try to or let's say first-time entrepreneurs that try to start a business they don't focus on sales they say I'm going to build a product you know I I did the same thing I I had a business called Mm wiseguysedge.com and what we were doing is we were trying to build this sports aggregation website we poured (laughs) thousands of hours into it we had a team of three developers and um, you know five five content writers and the idea is we're gonna take all of this content we were going to take all of this data. We were going to aggregate it, and we were going to sell it to uh, sports gamblers, sports gambling websites, yeah. media agencies, or media uh, outlets, and uh, and we were going to do some really exciting stuff with the data. But the thing that we realized after twelve months of developing is what we were building doesn't mean shit unless you actually try to get a dollar from your customer, yeah. and and that's really what dictates. Um, you know what kind of value you're giving to your customer at the end of the day, and what you're building.
0: Right, and it's interesting. I mean, you you, you sort of have a tech component to Destinables. Mm-hmm. but unlike many entrepreneurs that we know, obviously in Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, uh, and across the world, I think tech has become such a prevalent uh, word associated to entrepreneurship. Right, it's almost mm-hmm. like you almost assume that if someone's an entrepreneur, you know, they have an app or they have a site, a platform, e-commerce. There's some some tangent to it. You do have a, a tech component, but the yeah. basis of what you're offering not necessarily technology. Why go that way? And what was that motivation for you?
1: So there, there are so many. A lot of people forget that you can create a great business without tech. Thank you. Or you can create a great business uh, without raising VC money. And um, it. Can, can, you just,
0: can you just repeat that really quickly? I think a lot of people need to hear this. Yeah. Part.
1: So you do not <laughs> need. You do not need tech to create a bit great business. And you do not need uh, venture capital to create a great business and in a lot of cases it's actually you know the opposite like a lot of great businesses that you see are service businesses they're businesses that you know don't raise any capital and maybe they take debt and uh, they find other ways to finance their business there's so many different things that you can do um that uh when it comes to fundraising that like it's it's just ridiculous to me how many people go after VC money they They'd be infinitely more successful creating a business without it, but uh, it, it does. It is. It can be highly effective in certain scenarios. It has it's scenarios just, where it's important. Yeah, not every business is going to be a Facebook, but uh, for those the, those opportunities where you can build a business like that, that's uh, you know a great way to go. But. Um,
0: so for desk- but yeah, so for desk nibbles, yeah.
1: it, it, it like we we started as a service business, right? Mm-hmm. And largely, there is a, a service component attached to it. Um, when, there- you,
0: when you say services, that, that means I'm a company, for example. Yeah. I'm looking for uh, one of your box plans, which is you know a, a box full of different snacks, mm-hmm. and that kind of changes depending on what yeah. you want to select. Mm-hmm. Um, when I order it, you're sort of servicing my offering and. And that was it, right? In the beginning days. That, yep. that's, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So going to an office, stocking the kitchen, bringing snacks, bringing food. So we still do that. Um, now we offer the kind of stocking as an added service. Okay. And then, um, you know, basically we're connecting with different partners to fulfill orders to customers across North America. Yeah. And so now we're taking more of a kind of marketplace approach. So it's more scalable let's say and so you'll you'll see like there are a lot of really great companies that are built as a result you know starting as a service business and then they realize hey we have this great opportunity where we have tens of thousands of people coming to our website but because we're a service business we're only able to service let's say you know six customers per month
0: the ones you work with yeah
1: yeah whereas you know you might think, okay, well now if I transform into a kind of a product business, then now I can serve thousands of customers a month, right? Mm -hmm. So it, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting model to, to, to see, um, a lot of entrepreneurs that I think are really smart, take that approach, especially if you are an earlier entrepreneur. Like there are a lot of entrepreneurs that have the luxury where, you know, or their experience and they, They're able to take those risks and go for the moonshot in the early days and build this, you know, great tech product business. But, but yeah, so I mean, a consulting business can be even a consulting business that is a service business and depends on, on your time and effort can be a great business because, you know, it's, um, it's just a different lifestyle and a lifestyle that might fit with a lot of people. But anyway, um, yeah, like, like there's. I'll give you an example. One great book I'm reading is by uh, Rand Fishkin. It's it's called uh, it's called uh, Lost and Founder. Okay. And so Rand, it's he 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 talks about his experience of starting this SEO consulting business in the early he was in the early two thousands with wow. his with his mom, and so they had this business. They were five hundred thousand dollars in debt. And then they ended up transforming the service business into this um, highly scalable product business, selling this this SEO software. And so now today, I think they're doing about forty million dollars a year, approximately in mm-hmm. sales. And it's just a great. It's an amazing book. I recommend it to any founder. It's one of the the great ones I've I've read recently. But uh, yeah, it talks exactly about that. that-
0: Now now, tell me me something, Cass. I mean, with especially in the early days, right? I think every every founder entrepreneur is going to go through this, where you have to you have to decide what roles you want to play, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very it's very obvious. Like if you're you know if you're more into business and marketing or negotiations or you're a good presenter, Mm -hmm. likely you're to be the the face of the company and you're going to be the CEO. uh, But that sort of role splitting, I think, is always a question that comes up. One, like how to actually split the roles, but two, how to find right teammates, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. right kind of. Um, early on partners it doesn't have to be a co-founder it could be a partner later on how do, how do you sort of structure that from your mindset and, and what kind of pieces of advice would you give someone because I know that's, that's really important <clears throat> so uh, okay that's
1: a, that's a great question and I think a lot of people miss, miss this because they don't, they don't actively seek out to understand what their weaknesses are so one thing that I'm always trying to, to do is ask for open feedback and make sure that you know, you're, you're totally open about understanding what are your strengths and weaknesses yeah. because that will help you to understand what to focus on in the early stages of the business and maybe where you should focus in the future and how to build your business. So as an example, I, I don't have great engineering knowledge and knowledge on how to build uh, a great team of engineers. Mm-hmm. Emil is a great engineer, he's a great communicator, he is a good leader, and I'm lucky that I have him to manage our, our, our developer the team, technical side. the technical side. Yeah. Um, another thing is that I, you know, I do have this sales experience, but at the same time I realize that there are probably better, uh, people out there that are better than me to manage the, uh, the, sales. the sales team. And so as the business has grown, I was more involved with sales in the earlier days, but now we have a great sales leader, uh, Marcus, who leads our sales team. Same goes with marketing, same goes with logistics, and same goes with uh, you know design. And so really, you have to understand where your weaknesses are early on, okay. and then that will help you understand the team that you need to build around you. The one thing that I'll say is that if you're going to build a venture-backable business, okay. nine times out of ten if you are planning on being the CEO, most of the things that you enjoy doing, you probably won't be doing them anymore. Because your role is gonna be building a team, managing that team, having an overview kind of over everything, fundraising, um, and it's- A lot of the admin
0: stuff, by the way, as well. I mean, uh, I think the Roman. we talked about this uh, previously over coffee, not on a podcast, but uh, we we're sort of talking and, and, and we, I think it like entrepreneurship is, is very romanticized, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it almost looks so glamorous, but the thing, people t- tend to forget that, yes, you do, like you have your, the luxury of your, of your time and you're your own boss and there's, mm-hmm. there's so many advantages really that come with it. Also following your passion, but that, even that passion that you define as maybe your venture, mm-hmm. right? For you, Des nipples, your role in that passion is going to change. Right? So, and I think there's different co founders for different stages of business. I mentioned this last time. Like, there are some co founders or founders who are really good at ideation, i.e., they come up with these great ideas. Some are better at execution. So, actually, you know, incorporating the business and, you know, starting with, uh, with a client or, or a service, like actually getting it up and running. Some are better at getting it from zero to one million in sales, some from one to ten million in sales, etc. And then, you know, some are just operational founders where they can actually really operate the sort of micro the day-to-day uh of the company but then they might have to step aside and say you know what i think it's time either for me to look beyond this or partner with someone who can take you to the next level mm-hmm. so that being said how do you have like how do you almost uh, battle with your ego right i mean not not that i think everybody has an ego but but mm-hmm. especially if it's your baby right like this is something that you've been working on H- how do you wrestle with it yourself and, and when do you know when to pull to, to pull back on certain things like what kind of conversations do you have with yourself to say, you know what, uh, I, I think someone else would be better suited or I should take a step back here as a leader? I think you just need to
1: talk to a lot of people, talk to the people that know you best. Um, and then I would, ev- I would physically, one of the things I, I've done is like physically make a list of the things that you're good and that you're bad at. Are there things that as you grow you should be focusing on? You know, you want to you want to have the greatest impact on the business, and that might not necessarily mean that you're doing that one thing. Um, like, for example, like I managed bookkeeping for the longest time with Destinables up until maybe last month. No, I didn't like it. It sucked. You know, I'd spend, I would spend maybe, maybe two full days a month doing bookkeeping, yeah, and then another full day. Closing the month off, doing analysis, kind of month-end closing stuff. Uh, but things, then on top things of that, you had, you had to do. Yeah, things I had to do, and like I had to do them at the beginning. But I probably held on for too long, too and long. I could have delegated that to someone else earlier. And so I realized how much time I was spending, and mm-hmm. I kind of looked at like, you know, I could spend this time with customers. I could spend this time helping motivate my team. I could strategy. help spend this time working on strategy. Like there were so many other things that were more important for me to focus on so uh you know we outsource that mm. right but you know you have to you have to really be conscious and open-minded about what the best use of your time is so prioritization like crazy um, so so important and maybe that's like you should always be prioritizing like crazy um, regardless and for you is
0: it like a to-do list like do you wake up in the morning and say you know what these are the top 10 priorities I have to do.
1: Yeah. Every Sunday I'll do a calendar audit and I'll look at what are my upcoming meetings this week? What's nice. important? What should I focus on? Every morning I'll, you know, I'm up at 7, 6 six, 7am. And, uh, the first thing I do in the morning is I look at, okay, again, what do I have to do today? What are the highest impact things I can do? I have a to-do list that basically gets updated. Um, I've got my goals for the week, for not for the week, for the, for the month, mm-hmm. I've got my goals for the year. Um, And those those do change. It's incredibly hard to kind of like gauge even one year out for a fast growing startup where you want to be and the things you want to do. But Mm -hmm. um, it's important to be conscious and think about those things,
0: those things actively. Yeah. Versus being reactive and so on. Yeah. You raised uh, a bit of financing for Desk. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what what kind of financing? Why? How'd you do it? Ups and downs? So we, we looked at the business uh,
1: earlier this year, okay. kind of planning, and we were thinking how much faster could we grow or, or how could we 10x revenue? And we said, well, um, we have this sales formula that's working. Let's, if we could pour a little bit more money into this, could we increase sales by you know, X amount? So um, we said, yes, it, definitely, certainly. So what is that amount of money that we can take and uh, how can we put it to work? And so it wasn't, we wanted to avoid going down the VC route or kind of angel route yet, because I mean, you don't want to dilute yourself. Right. And if we had the ability that we were lucky enough to be able to service that debt. So we took a small amount of debt from BDC and, uh, that allowed us to grow. It was about $250,000. And that allowed us to grow um, a little bit faster. So it was, uh, you know, it worked great. It was a great option. And since then, we've, we've pretty much doubled our, our revenue.
0: For a lot of the founders listening, I think, I think that's a great idea. I mean, there are alternative uh, sources of capital, it doesn't have to be equity financing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think venture debt uh, actually is, is, is becoming more increasingly important. You're seeing the big banks do it, RBC, um, Emo, TDC, IBC—they're all kind of getting back into the venture debt space. Mm-hmm. Um, Espresso Capital is, is a popular firm in, in Toronto, uh, and so on. So BDC as well. Um, so it's interesting you took that route. Uh, I mean, Desnibbles has had really positive growth, yeah, right. And, and you mentioned it early in the podcast from zero to one—that's very difficult to do, okay. Mm-hmm. And from I think the, the the thing is, man, in entrepreneurship, you know, and I, I get caught in this myself. It's like, oh, you know, like we we'll only look at companies with two to five million. And we, it, we say it so often that we often forget, maybe from the investment perspective, how difficult it is to actually get to 1 million, let alone mm-hmm. like $10, like sell something for 10 bucks. Like, it's actually very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for a lot of founders watching this, sometimes they underestimate the amount of effort it takes, the branding, like thinking mm-hmm. about churn, recurring revenues, all these things. What would you say are maybe three lessons that you've learned from getting to zero to one uh, that you can kind of pass off? Um, If you're not embarrassing yourself, then
1: it's not too early. Number one. Yes, sir. So, like the first, what we did in the first, let's say the first year of Destinables was so embarrassing. Like it was just looking back at like what we were offering customers, it's crazy that any customers would ever want to talk to us. But I think we were because we're young, we were passionate about what we're doing, and um, we were working towards a solution for the customer. We were so focused on them, they wanted to listen to us and wanted to support us. Right, so um, I think since then we've we've you know really built up a pretty valuable
0: offering for them. So it's kind of before you continue. Uh, I like Reed Hoffman's quote: "Is uh, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, then you've launched too late." Yep. So uh, yeah, for sure, I, that's
1: exactly it. Like, I mean, even today we'll launch different features and different things that we offer to customers, um, and it it they can be embarrassing. But you're trying. Like, yeah, exactly. I exactly and like like it's the it's you know you need to find out earlier if 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 what you're doing is actually valuable to the customer so talk to customers so important um so yeah that leads me to the next one which is you know talk to customers early you know what what would they pay for there is uh a great a great i i forget who was who quoted this but uh they said that they would go to customers, and they would ask them. I think it was the uh, the two brothers that started Stripe. So okay. they would go to um, they would go to customers, and they would say, "Okay, how much how much would you pay to uh, how much would you pay for um, or would you pay a dollar for this? Okay, now what would we have to do for this for you to pay $10? ten dollars? Ten dollars." Now what would we have to do for you to pay a hundred dollars? Now that. what about a thousand? Now what about ten thousand? what about a hundred thousand? And so they, they learn very quickly like, okay, what kind of what kind of value we can we can bring to the customer. So um, you know continuously talking to your customers and your prospects and um, just getting out there, super important. Yeah. Do it do it as early as possible, even before you have a product.
0: Okay. Interesting. I, I like what you said about actually going to the customer because a lot of times you assume. Yeah. Right. And you're emotional to your product or service. And so you think you know what customers want. Yeah. But you probably have no idea. Yeah. The other thing, uh, I can't remember what podcast, um, I think maybe it was a scale, scale mm-hmm. uh or s- some entrepreneurial podcast. They were talking about going to a customer and saying, look, think about a utopia. Okay. No sandbox, no limits, nothing. Mm-hmm. If I'm to tell you that I want to build this for you, yeah. Give me everything you can possibly imagine in doing for you and then let's, let's reverse engineer mm-hmm. let's take it back from there
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I think because so many times you, you place limits and especially I found this personally like when you work with technical co-founders uh, it's not that they ha- they have the same dreams and visions that you do but because they're coding they know almost the parameters of what they're playing in I mm-hmm. find sometimes in business like especially with the creative mind you're coming like you know almost like you're, you're, you're like Elon Musk shooting from Mars you know Yeah. Uh, and, and you forget that you still have to build you know a spaceship test it just send people to another planet, right? Like, Yeah. Um, and so, I think that's sometimes where we get caught because I'm always thinking ahead ahead and like the future. Let's tell me, George, look, we, st- we still have version 2, buddy. Mm-hmm. You're thinking of version 25. Yeah. You know? Uh, so, just relax. Yeah,
1: start small, right? So, I would say like those, those two things, super important. Um, otherwise you just got to do it you just got to go out there and do it like the
0: hustle the hard work
1: yeah like don't be the hustle the hard work like you're going to work hard but it's going to be highly rewarding i've probably worked over 100 hours a week since i was you know 16 17 years old and
0: uh i love it right like can can you tell me a moment where like you really applied the hustle i I just want i want to sort of contextualize what we mean by it because i think it's it's such a templated thing to say i don't mean like you know, like, huh, yeah, you know, I don't mean it this way. I, uh, I, I more so want to say from like an entrepreneurial lens. Yeah. Give me an example of that hustle, but also that paid off. Like, what did you, you know, you you emailed a, a prospect like a thousand times, or you stood out there with cookies, or, yeah. or a cup of coffee, like something like that. You, do, do you have a story like that, or?
1: Yeah, I mean, there there are a bunch. Um, like sales is a really like in, in sales we I mean we are, you know, like we have tons of cases where the sales cycle has taken a lot longer than normal Mm -hmm. and finally that prospect comes through and it's like a big deal and you look back at the history in your CRM and you see like you know I had 30 (laughs) phone calls 50 emails been following this prospect for over 6 months now the deal closed and you know it's
0: like that's a great feeling to have Um, especially if you're you're hungry like if if you're sort of chasing you know after after so long and doing all the right behaviors like that's yeah. what sales really is yeah you know and I, I'm taking a uh, sort of a sales course right now with Sandler but yeah. that's what they call it like sales is really doing the right behaviors to get to the right outcomes yeah you know and yeah. I think uh, if you, you sort of overlook those those behaviors mm-hmm. you know people uh, they'll sort of miss or, or dismiss uh, cold calls mm-hmm. and say like oh is isn't going to work for, for my space you don't, you don't know my space George there's no yeah. way cold calls are going to work and then you start doing the right behaviors the yeah. follow up the persistence and Look what happens, man. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's it's it's
1: tough. Like you, you work hard and it pays off, but I, I suppose you have to be mindful of like you know there's you should relax and you know take times to relax too from time mm-hmm.
0: to time, um, but enjoy yourself, right? How do you do that? Like what, what's your sort of system of kind of winding down? Because this is also your business, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's even more difficult. It's not like you just go turn off the lights and that's it, mm-hmm. right? I mean.
1: How- yeah. It's not like you have to set. I think it's good to, important to set some kind of rituals that you have. Um, For me, like, you know, I'll I'll go to the gym at least three times a week, and that's a great way for me to de stress. Um, What's your workout routine right now? It's uh, my workout routine. Like, what do you do? So, I I do this routine. I've been doing uh, a PPL routine. It's push movements one day, pull movements one day, and then leg movement, like legs uh, another day. And so, for me, that's like it's, it's a great, like it's automatic, right? I know my my routine. I know which stations I have to do, which movements I have to do, and it's like automatic. It's like I'm I'm meditating for that that mm-hmm. hour and a half, right? It's a
0: really you really shut off. You put on music, like yeah, exactly. That's what I love about it. Man. Put nobody's on music, bothering on, you exactly. Put on a podcast. Nobody's bothering you. Unless you're, you're that one guy in the gym who has the AirPods on, like actually doing a conference call, yeah. you know, while, while squatting, like. I I've, I've done that before.
1: <laughs> I've done that before. It was but, gassy the whole time. But that was maybe uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I've done that before. But I've tried to you know not was
0: it was it getting that prospect the six months that was the last call wasn't it was, Yeah, yeah. I mean, well it was a
1: cru- it was a crucial moment. But I you know now I try to make sure that those times are, are like just me times. And then also uh, maybe one other ritual I have is that I try to I try to have uh, breakfast with my family nice. every Sunday. Okay. So uh, you know taking that time time with family is important too and making sure because I, I, I mean I don't see you know I don't see my family and my, my parents oh. I, I see my brother every day right but uh, I don't see my parents you know so often I don't see uh, you know friends that often so taking that that Sunday with friends and family uh, is important you just you just
0: reminded me of something that I really want to ask and I think it's a good question but you're saying you know you were, you were saying like I work with my brother every day. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I could think of, especially being Lebanese, is this: is the advice that everybody gives is never, never uh, do business with family. Like never, never. Go, sorry, never, go in, not never do business. Never go into business with family or really close friends for yeah. obvious reasons. Um, did you have that sort of challenge in your mind early on? And and if so, how did you overcome it? And how do you guys operate, like personally as bros, but mm-hmm. uh, when it's business, is business. Like how do you have that that separation? Yeah, so we... I mean, we've been,
1: been working together on different things since we were, you know, like 12 years old, right? Okay. So so we've always... Gatorade, uh, yeah, Sun Gatorade that, so. and and uh, and and fixing bikes on the street. But, we, yeah, we've always, like, worked together, and so we know what it's like, yeah. and, you know, we're, like, best friends, and we know each other so well, so it's amazing to have that trust. Um, I, I suppose it's not for everyone, and I've seen it go bad where people don't aren't yeah. able to to do that right and like sure there are moments where we we disagree with things but we always make sure that like the conversations we're having and disagreements that we're having are always extremely logical okay. and that uh you know I don't even think we've had to have a mediator ever before to make a decision it's just because we're trying to apply you know 100% logic to the decisions that we're making um, but like from the perspective of balancing work work and life, I hate the idea of work life balance. I don't think that's true. I think like Cass, you're gonna get a lot of comments right now on this podcast. I think that all right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hate work life balance. I hate the term. It's it's like so okay. it's it's so like maybe I, I just don't like the way that people think of work life balance. Yeah. I don't think it means the right thing. It has it has the wrong definition.
0: Okay. So how how do you define it?
1: I don't think it's a balance. Okay. It's more of a, and I think a lot of more people are saying this now these days. Maybe it's like a cliche thing to say, because it's, uh, and I, I, but I totally agree with it. It's, it's that life, like work, is a piece of life, and there doesn't necessarily have to be a balance there, because I think there's a negative connotation. Towards work, yeah. and I think that if you're going to spend your life doing something, you should le- at least try to be happy doing that thing, right? Yeah. When you're spending, you know, th- a third of your life doing something, right? Make sure that you're doing something that you're excited Probably. to wake
0: up and do every day, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that's an incredibly important. Just on that fact, too, I just want to say, like, I definitely agree with that. There's actually research, obviously, that shows um, uh, people who retire, but, but still have a purpose, mm-hmm. and it could be something as simple as like gardening or. I don't know, uh, sitting on a board or... But but doing something and having... Like when you wake up, you have a purpose, right? You have some intention. You're likely to live longer, mm-hmm. right? But and uh, this is an easy, even easier example. If you ever went to the Caribbean, you know, you went to uh, like an all-inclusive uh, resort. Man, so every time I, I go to these resorts, I'm you know, it's like I'm supposed to spend seven days there. And by the third day, I'm like... Like I'm kind of almost bored of it. Like, look, I, I've sat on the beach, you know, the food is great, drinks are fine. Like we had a good time, but like... Now I need to go back and, and hit the routine again. You know, I almost mm. feel you can just kind of you, you get out of it. So this whole notion of retiring and sitting on, you know, in the Bahamas for the rest of your life sounds very appealing, yeah. you know, but when you actually go to do it, I guarantee you by the fifth week, you're going to be back in Toronto hitting the, the pavement and, you know, doing some, some calls. So, uh, it's true. Yeah. It's 100%. percent I'm going to hit you up with, uh, to wrap this up, two things. We're going to do a bit of uh, rapid questions. Okay. Uh, rapid questions, not rapid. <laughs> uh, so I'll be asking questions. You answer quickly. Um, and then a, a piece of advice um, for our audience. Is that cool? Yeah. Cool. All right, buddy. Uh, first one sounds easy, pro- probably obvious. Uh, favorite snack? Uh, we've got these
1: uh, these coconut these coconut uh, snacks. They're like these protein coconut balls. Okay. By um, like the freshy ones. No, it's like a it's like a packaged coconut protein coconut ball. It's delicious. Oh that's
0: the one you, you uh let me taste last time. I think
1: I, I brought you one last yeah, time, yeah. yeah. It's a it's a great snack. Coke. That's a good one. So
0: okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. Favorite city. Favorite city, um depends. It's so tough. Give me one Cassie. Vienna, Austria.
0: Vienna, Austria? Yeah. You're gonna go with that? We're in Toronto, man. We're filming in the sixth. Yeah. You're gonna say Vienna,
1: Austria? You gotta go there. If you if you haven't been there, then you, you don't know what you're missing out on. Right. It's an amazing
0: city. I hope John Tory isn't listening to this podcast. But, uh, no, i just joking. Um, most exciting time? Most exciting time? Tomorrow. Nice. Most challenging time? Uh, most challenging time? Ooh. Hmm...
1: let's say the let's say I, I would say there's no challenging time it's in your mind okay
0: uh where do you see yourself in five years uh building a great business okay favorite book
1: favorite book the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy
0: hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah damn i like that i want to note that down okay um piece of advice Young entrepreneur looking to start a venture, what would you say? Just go do it. Talk to your customers. Nike, just go do it. If you're watching
1: this, you better sponsor this podcast. I, I my <laughs> it, it's funny, you know, my dad. <clears throat> so my dad, my parents are immigrants. Okay. They're both from originally uh, from. Uh, my mom is originally from Bolivia okay. in South America, yeah. and then my dad's from Algeria uh, in North Africa. Africa. So very different mix, but uh, you know, as like an having an immigrant parent. Russell Peters makes this joke. He talks about like the funny ways that his dad swears. So my dad too swears in a very funny ways. He uses words that, you know, don't um, you know, don't make sense in a sense. They're gra- grammatically incorrect. So he used to say like when we had to do do our chores, he would he'd look at me and my brother sitting on the couch and he'd be like, "Guys, you're not going to do the dishes? Just go fuck do it." <laughs> and so even when you just forget the IMG. so, so now <laughs> today, when, when we're you know working on the business or doing something exciting or have a, an important meeting, we're telling them about to wish us luck, He Says, guys, just go, fuck, do it. Just go, right? fuck, do it. Yeah, so I, I tell all the young entrepreneurs, just go, fuck, do it.
0: Episode 28 of Let's Crap Coffee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to be serious. just go, fuck, do it, man. Cass, I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, man.